Hi there, and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Dr. Jim McCray. Dr. McCray is the founder of Straight Line Analytics. Since 2014, Dr. McCray has been using Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board data merged with his own proprietary compilations of industry-related information to produce analytic summaries, innovative metrics, and numerous insights for business clients, cannabis advocates, and policymakers. Welcome to the show, Jim. Good afternoon, Shango. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for uh, giving us some of your time. I know your time is valuable. So I want to start out by saying how valuable your work is in the cannabis cannabis industry, and that's why I asked you on the show. You know, most cannabis people just repeat what they've heard from others, and you are one of the only people I know who is digging into the raw data to create whole new understanding, you know, real original thought. Are you surprised that the Liquor and Cannabis Board decided to make this information public so that you could massage it and learn from it? I'm pleased that they have, and I certainly think we're fortunate that they have. We're fortunate to live in Washington, which has one of the stronger public records acts out there. I mean, they're somewhat compelled to make information available. They have chosen to make uh, fairly extensive information available to to this industry, which, you know, sociologically and just for studying it, for understanding it is huge. And it's such a new industry as a regulated industry that uh, this, what we do here can really serve as a good set of lesson, lessons nationwide. And the LCB and the state of Washington have been very complicit in allowing that to occur. The, the first year, they basically were making weekly and monthly regular deliveries of you know aggregate information to people, which allowed us to understand at a high level what was going going on in the industry. And really down even to the monthly business level sales data and tax collection data. So really did a lot of good stuff with that. And then about this time last year, they began releasing a monthly copy of the traceability database, which is effectively, think of it as transactional level information in the industry. It's every piece of product creation and movement and flow through the industry from wholesale to retail to ultimately consumers. And it's really, that's similar to some of the data I played with in pharma when I worked there. And I just see a huge opportunity for understanding and then for commercial value out of this information. The LCB recently changed its rules a bit so that there was less information coming out and and cannabis advocates just kind of freaked out about it. But, but, you know, looking at the information that is no longer coming out, has that really been a loss at all? we we nipped the hard parts of that in the bud very early. Uh, they were proposing language from the motivation that was very good because they were releasing too much information. They were releasing stuff that was absolutely inappropriate. Things like security plans for, for buildings, certain financial account numbers that people had in their application packages, things of that sort, stuff that really shouldn't be out there. Um, 
but they put in general language like uh, we will deny all government issued ID numbers and you know stuff like that. And from a database perspective, if they did that, if I did not have the license number, which the Bureau of Licensing Services gives them, um, and the UBI number and things like that, I wouldn't be able to merge any data together. And indeed, the database, the traceability database, many pieces of it would kind of fall apart in terms of the ability to use them productively. So we pushed back hard. I was one of the people that freaked on that early. Um, and they listened and they modified um, the legislation accordingly. I, I really like that answer too, because because it kind of it kind of justifies everybody. On the on the one hand, um, uh, my inelegant use of the word freak, you know, it was appropriate for us to freak out because, like you said, without the the key IDs to anchor the data to, you weren't going to be able to make sense of it. But at the same time, it also makes a good point that it is important for us as citizens to have oversight of our regulators so that um, so that we can make sure we're getting clean data and we understand how our industry and our states are evolving. I know there's a, a growing movement of data wonks and activists pushing cannabis regulators to keep the information available and complete. Can you tell us a little bit about those efforts? Uh, well, I'm part of those efforts, I, I believe. But yes, uh, I would say Dr. Corva, Dominic from CASP is involved in that as well. Many people are. The, the local media are involved in that because they value the ability of our state, you know, constitution and, and legislation to say you can get access to these records and we can basically hold the government accountable for many things. But when you look at the data, this is like the citizen metrics thing that we talked about. You're effectively saying all this information about this new industry, which is a very emotionally, politically, medically loaded subject for many people, is now available to people beyond those that are blessed explicitly by the government. The government has the data, but, you know, um, BioTrack presumably has the data, our traceability central vendor, and, um, but it, and the consultants of the government would have the, the data. But if other people do, then you have more sets of eyes looking at it and you glean more information and value from it. And we have many examples of that. I like that term, the citizen metrics that we talked about earlier. But, you know, just just the stuff that I've created from it that, that is not necessarily, you know, your average, average averages and totals. I mean, many other people are making this available commercially as well. I tend to give the data away and, and, and do other things with services. But, you know, sales by inventory type, growth, pricing, markups, um, how long product is staying on the shelves, how one store differs from another, how the when they started tying the lab results in, the potency numbers and the quality assurance and safety numbers, um, that, that just opened up a huge window. And indeed, my interest in, in the traceability database you know, started from Dominic being given it as part of a public records request. But the first thing I looked at was the lab results data. That was through the old Cannabis Transparency Project. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the database was made available. I was all excited. I was like a kid in a data candy store. But it's a horribly poorly documented database um, whose linkages are not obvious. So after about two months of frustrating work on my part, um, Dominic struck together a team of very talented people and uh, we were able to crack initially the the lab results and we looked at that and it was apparent this is the, the labs basically do two types of testing potency 
uh, and quality assurance. So potency is cannabinoid levels. Um, I don't like that use of the term, but it's what it is right now. And quality assurance, which is things like antimicrobial assessments, foreign matter, residual solvents in, in extracts for inhalation, things like that. Um, but we looked at that and my eyes just opened because it, it was a clear, odd pattern in the data. And it was it was so odd that we ended up, we actually took it to the LCB about a, a year ago almost now and showed it to them. And uh, it was clearly not possible in the world as we understood it. And that just spawned a whole bunch of work, as which you're aware of, uh, that I've published up on HighBlog. But it, it, it showed the labs doing some funny things. We would not have been able to do that without the data. So my takeaway on the data stuff, the transparency of the data is crucial. And as the rest of the nation launches this, I mean, please, please, I, I look at what Colorado makes available and what Oregon makes available to their people, which are dramatically different. And I'm so fortunate in yet another way to live in Washington state because we understand, or we have the ability to understand this marketplace. Like right now, I don't think any of the other states can and we're doing it. So, so if the other states come on board, if it's only the liquor board or the cannabis board or the gaming commission or whatever sin thing they, they, or medical thing they put in charge of it or new thing, please encourage those governments and regulators to make available as much information as possible to you so that you can understand the market and so that you can really manage the market and sell its benefits and adequately educate people about how few concerns there really are about it. Yeah, that's a powerful piece of advice. Uh, we're going to take a short break and be right back. We're going to talk more about the uh, inconsistency in lab results when we get back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. The Gontrepreneur podcast is listened to by tens of thousands of cannabis entrepreneurs and enthusiasts every single week. These folks are most likely your target customers, and we'd like to introduce you to each other. Our down-to-earth and information-rich commercial breaks can deliver your message to the cannabis business community and others who just find relief in getting high. If you want to reach out and connect with our audience in the most personal way that we can offer, go ahead and drop us an email at grow at and we can talk about you becoming a commercial sponsor of the podcast. Thanks for listening and being part of the Gontrepreneur family. Now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Dr. Jim McRae of Straight Line Analytics. So before the break, we were talking about the importance of uh, cannabis analytics, getting data dumps from the state so that individual citizens can work the data and see what we find. And, and one of the things that most excited me and originally attracted me to your work, Jim, was that you started coming up with really interesting data around the, the potency and other analytics that were coming out of the state-approved cannabis labs. You know, does the um, you know what insights does the data show with which labs may be more or less friendly to the industry? <laughs> uh, uh, please, please don't get sued, Jim. Um, I published a series of I think something like five articles late last year, uh, between late November and uh, 
New Year's Eve, I believe, on um, what I called lab friendliness within the state. Uh, effectively, based on the work out of the Cannabis Transparency Project, I, I took it upon myself to, um, once I cracked the other portions of the, of the lab data and updated it, to do an assessment on, on a window of time. So I, I took uh, June, July, August, effectively, of last year, those three months of data, uh, we had, I think, 14 labs up and running in the state at that point. Some of them had just started, so I have very thin data for them. But but it was it was enough into the market that I figure they would have worked the bugs out of their processes and all that. So I took a look at three months of data, it, it basically all of the stuff that they report. And it, it falls into two families. I'm going to talk about quality assurance first, and then I'll talk about potency, if you don't mind. But quality assurance um, is basically, is the stuff safe, would be a good way to, to, to put that. It's a series of, uh, I think it's five different families of tests, including such things as the moisture level of bud, um, the relative absence of foreign matter in, in the product, the... Um, pass fail levels on a handful of antimicrobial and you know growing things tests and um, and the residual solvents in um, extracts for inhalation particularly in uh, volatile solvent based extracts so i mean it's interesting there's there's data in all of that stuff so what it, those are basically pass fail results if you exceed a threshold or something like that you you fail and if the product fails and they are typically testing batches of flour here, so, you know, many pound lots. Uh, if it fails, you can't sell it as that. Uh, presumably, you can retest it, and, you know, if you remediate, if that's possible, and if it passes subsequently, you can sell it. But it's a big thing to fail a test. So I looked at the data, and failure rates on some of the tests were almost non-existent. They were extremely small. Um, and when I cut it by lab... It, I mean, it, there was a differentiation that, that was kind of stunning, and I'm not going to go into detail on that. But there were a handful of labs that, that really stood out as failing virtually nothing or, or nothing um, over quite a few tests in some cases. But, but that's in the, in the context of a whole bunch of other labs that are failing relatively consistent levels of failure for the most part, you know, but non-zero. And uh, so you take it that as you will. So I stored that away. That was the original observation, the moisture level, you know, that, which I won't bore you with the details, it's in the blog. But um, if that's true, I mean, if, if the implication of that is that some labs are just failing a lot less, there's really only a few ways that that can happen. Um, the one that's kind of of interest to me is that uh, there's almost a financial interest in that that product that does not fail such results can be sold. That which does fail cannot be sold in that form. Um, so store that away. Then I looked at the potency results in a relatively, I don't like the word potency. That's actually four measures. CBD levels, THC levels, THCA levels, and a total metric, um, total cannabinoid. And that was what they were reporting. That's considered to be potency. It's the only thing that's on the label. Now, one of the big, big advantages of this industry is people knowing what's in their product. You, you know, it's, it's more expensive for the most part. It's taxed more. You're less likely to go to jail in Washington now if you use it. That's an advantage. But the big advantage is I'm not as likely to OD when I do an edible. 
I'm going to know the profile, at least within the four measure constraint that I just said, of the cannabinoids of the product. And I'm going to know, given the tests that they're doing for quality assurance, that it's less likely to hurt me or kill me along those dimensions. Um, so that's a great thing. If some of the labs are failing nothing, they're either, they've got extremely talented growers and, and absolutely pristine samples and blah, 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 all the time. Or something else is going on. Uh, with the potency levels, it turns out that in a naive market, people were basically shopping for THC, you know, in various flavors. And they were looking for numbers and high THC was commanding a higher price. It was moving faster. And indeed, when you start talking to the farmers and you look at the data, some of the stuff that was lower in THC was, let's just say its velocity through the system was slower than, than the other product. Um, it really a big thing. So when you, when you look at the potency, uh, there's some interesting patterns of growth over time that I won't bore you with. It's either extraordinarily genetic manipulation or people dialing their, in their processes quickly. But the growth in cannabinoid levels we've seen has been humongous. There was a sideline in that which is that the total cannabinoid level that was being reported was different um, by different labs for a period of time. And that ultimately got corrected. And, but a very interesting dynamic there. It's also on the blog. So I looked at the, the labs that were not failing results and the labs that were failing results. And then I looked at the labs as they distributed on their cannabinoid measures. And there were some labs that popped as really almost apparently, they had higher results than anybody else did. Um, their distributions were odd in various forms. There were some interesting temporal anomalies in, in it. But I, I scored the labs basically on levels where if they were differentially showing higher cannabinoid levels and differentially showing no failures or very, very unexpectedly low failure rates for quality assurance, that all incremented up sort of a non-parametric metric I developed that... Um, a summary score of friendliness, which is detailed in the last series of the blog post on where I did the report card. And there were there were three groupings of labs. There were there were some very clearly friendly labs that tended not to fail a lot of stuff and tended to have higher cannabinoid levels reported. And then there were other what I would call non-friendly labs, which were reporting stuff that um, didn't look like what the friendly labs did. There's a third group of labs that I just didn't have enough data on to be able to make a judgment. So it's about a third, a third, a third. The most interesting thing about it is that when you look now, I'm just beginning to do the final assessment of the six-month follow-up of that work, that the labs that I called friendly way back when, one of them fortunately, well, one of them is no longer in operation. Um, it was the most friendly lab. I think somebody ultimately called them out or they called themselves out for what they were doing. Uh, but the remaining four labs that I called friendly that are in business represent the majority of testing that is done in Washington today. So whatever they did then, you know, certainly didn't seem to help their market share within the lab testing space. Um, the good thing about this is that uh, the LCB and the regulatory bodies have all been made available or made knowledgeable of this work. And they have recently struck a quality assurance working group to do oversight on the labs and, and indeed to start looking at some of the pesticide levels that are beginning to pop up. I've done some work in that space as well. But, but it's um, – we are making a big step forward with that potentially in the quality of the uh, product that's out there. My one big concern about it is the way people are still tending to go with potency 
as the proxy for quality and value and price you know on the product and how quickly it moves that's a relatively ignorant market you know it's like shopping for everclear when you buy alcohol <laughs> um, but you know it's much better than a fine cabernet because it's got more alcohol well the, yeah, the, similar con connoisseurs i mean they're looking at thc but they're also looking at terpene profile and oh. and all these other things which gives you an a, a more of a whole experience than just getting yep. really baked yeah and that, that that's pretty much it on the lab stuff i i I'm very disappointed, to be quite frank, in some of um, what I've seen in some of the lab data. But I'm glad that the LCB seems to be addressing some of the issues that were there. And I think that's a really good point to make, that we even have this data. I mean, we've had uh, years and years of, of medical marijuana in Washington state. And you know we could see anecdotally that this was happening. I mean, I had uh, consulting clients who, that were labs that I was helping them with their marketing. And and you can tell from lab to lab, you know, the customer saying, oh, you know, you're not giving me the potency results I'm looking for. I had this run two different places. I like their results better. So I'm going to take my product back to them. And then you would hear, you know, talk at, at you know, industry gatherings where, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so has a special relationship with this particular lab and, and they make sure that that their testing has got the wink-wink for higher potency rates. And, and, you know, it really became a belief that this was a true thing. And therefore, the market started to... Uh, uh, attract to those labs. And then over time, we all just kind of felt, you know what, um, we know between the, the, the lack of sure science at the lab and also the fact that some of the labs may be gaming the system, okay, so, so our test results may be off, but at least if we all get our results at the same lab, they'll all be off in a similar way. And so we saw that and it was it was making a mess of the a medical market and it gave a lot of evidence to um, to regulators to bring regulation into medical so that we can have exactly the kind of information that you're talking about now and and look at it and take action on it. So so the you know the follow-up question then Jim is that if if you saw this in the analysis and you mentioned it to the regulators what are you seeing now? Are, are these same labs still providing outlier data or, or have their results magically become more in line with the mean? <laughs> uh, that's a work in progress, Shango. What I have looked at thus far, uh, there is a very interesting thing that's almost looking like regression to the mean. Um, the two periods of time that are notable our last spring, the LCB gave directive out to the labs that they were to begin reporting a value that I call THC max, which is the fully decarboxylated THC, as the cannabinoid total metric. Um, prior to that, a number of the labs had been reporting that. That's, I think, very arguably the appropriate number and the obvious number to report there. But some of the labs had been reporting other things that in some cases it was driving me nuts. I could not figure out from the three other metrics that were there what a couple of the labs were reporting. You know, because I mean, I almost had to multiply them by a number to, to get to where they were. Turned out some of the labs were actually reporting. They were measuring a whole bunch more cannabinoids, and they were just adding them into the arithmetic total. So, bottom line is they were. I called it in my my articles. 
uh, inflating their, their cannabinoid total numbers by up to 3% on average. And remember, those are the labs that now command the differential market share of testing in this industry. So when that directive came from the LCB, virtually all of the labs that were inflating by that definition um, very quickly came into line, like almost overnight, uh, within a week. Two of the labs did not. One was just errant and a little little learning one that was just starting up its processes, I'll say. The other one was a big monolith that continued to report inflated values for five to six weeks. And subsequently, that lab has said they had they got special super secret permission from the LCB to do so. But, you know, it's, it's one of my friendlier labs, in my opinion. <laughs> right on. We're going to take another short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. As a cannabis entrepreneur, you know how challenging recruiting quality talent can be. Your day's already busy enough, and yet there is an ever-growing pile of resumes on your desk, and your team is begging you to hire more help. Hiring the right person can make a profound impact on your company. There's no reason that you have to suddenly be an expert hiring manager. Not when there is Viridian Staffing. Viridian Staffing recruits solely for adult-use cannabis, medical marijuana, and hemp companies and those that service them. Viridian Staffing's recruiters each have over 10 years of experience, and they will use that experience to recruit the kind of employees that will make you look good. Whether you're looking for a master grower, extractor, grow room support, or trimming, Viridian can find an appropriate person in your area. They can even recruit administrative or graphic design professionals who may not need cannabis experience. Because you are a startup, you may also need human resources help for a while. Viridian Staffing can make sure that your HR files are complete and keep you out of trouble with state and federal employment requirements. Because the cannabis industry is booming, cannabis recruiting companies are popping up all over the country. But good marketing does not mean good recruiting. Some of the recruiting shops that have opened are run by novices who do not yet have a thorough understanding of employment law and the complexities of hiring for cannabis. Don't hire an amateur to find you a professional. Consider Viridian Staffing to make that stack of resumes disappear and complete your team with exactly the hire you are hoping for. You can find out more at viridianstaffing.com. That's V-I-R-I-D-I-A-N staffing.com. And now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Dr. Jim McCray of Straight Line Analytics. So before the break, we were talking about all of the differences that having the proper uh, analytics on the data have had in the market, um, both helping correct the potency numbers so that uh, patients and recreational consumers know what they're buying, um, but also that everybody understands now that 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 the, the market that used to be medical and unregulated is now regulated. And so with that, with these numbers, we're getting to know so much more about our market, everything from, from labs to 
to sales numbers so that people can start projecting. So, you know, the Washington market has been stifled a bit by the pendulum of approving producers and, re and produ approving retailers out of sync. And so there's been this too much supply, not enough supply thing. And we're in a position now that there are simply not enough retail stores for the amount of uh, production that's happening and the amount of, of want by the customer and patient base. Does that bear out in the data as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really... It's been a bit of a back and forth as the market has launched. We're coming up on two full years of data in this market uh, or later this year. And initially, the obvious problem was there. Of There's only a few farms operating. You know, Some of them started growing two or three months before the market originally opened. Our stores opened in July of 2014. Uh, the first stores that were open sold out immediately. Prices were through the roof, blah, 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 blah. Supply was big. Supply was small. Initially, supply was small. But then it became apparent that as more stores began opening, that then, then there were areas that were underserved by the stores. Remember that we're in the background in Washington of having a very robust 15-plus-year-old medical market with dispensaries, you know, reasonably distributed, I'd say, for the population that was uh, consuming the product. But those were beginning to see increasing regulatory pressure. Many of them were beginning to get closed down in certain areas. And some local jurisdictions began to freak out a little bit about, you know, the stores coming on board and will this be a societal problem? But so bans and moratoria were put in place. But the bottom line is, as the stores began to open over the first year of the market, it was almost a linear growth in terms of licensing of retail stores month to month. And... Uh, the growth in sales was a little bit better than that, but you know it was it was going up very very nicely, and at a micro level now remember that the LCB's got at this point a couple of thousand probably farmer applicants you know producer applicants for the for the industry and they're trying to go through and license people, get them producing have them produce into the market you know get their processes right as they scale up their basement grow to three quarters of an acre's sun grown you know things like that. Um, the dynamics of the market were extraordinarily complicated. Then the first fall harvest came along in, in 2014, and thank goodness it was a partial one because people it wasn't really a mature enough market to have a lot of big ones. Some of the people nailed it. And that was a, a bolus of product without enough stores open. So prices at the wholesale level took a big dive, blah, 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 blah. Um, some of the farmers almost didn't recover from that, you know, but that, that that's going into the way it was in Washington, and there's a lesson there. When Washington started, everybody was taxed at 25% excise tax, farmers, processors, and retailers. They've subsequently changed that to the taxes now only at the retail level, but it's 37%. That was a great thing for farmers. The, the farmers, I'd say, are, are some of them are having trouble, some of them are differentiating themselves as just superb, but there's a lot of demand and demand continues to grow. I, I've really begun focusing some of my work on retail the last couple of months. Um, I think I've pretty much nailed a lot of the product flow at wholesale and it's very interesting and it's growing tremendously, but it's the demand at retail that's the interesting thing and that's where your story's looking really good. Um, Retail's growing like crazy right now. Now, of course, they're closing actively the remaining medical dispensaries, and they will all be closed by July 1st. And at the same time, the LCB has allowed an additional 222 stores on top of the original 334 that were allocated a couple of years ago. That's way too few uh, for the marketplace, but we'll, we'll go there another time. They, they based it on a 
frankly, a piece of crap study done by Botech. Um, that, that, it's embarrassing. Botech should have been embarrassed about releasing that, let alone taking money for it. But they're making policy based on it now, and it's horrible. Um, it grossly underestimated the size of the market in Washington State and some of the dynamics that are going on here. But the retail is growing, and it's growing at a very good clip. Um, I'm forecasting pretty firmly total market sales, wholesale and retail, of over a billion dollars this calendar year in Washington. That goes well beyond uh, what the Economic Forecast Research Council of the state is forecasting. Uh, their forecasts are getting better, but uh, they're, they're very talented. But for some reason, the, the, the legislature seems to want to under, <laughs> underball those numbers. Um, but yeah, we're, we're doing really well. Uh, some of the retailers are a little worried because of the gross impact of 280E on their taxes and their, their, their margins, their operating margins. Um, but there's, the growth of the market is going to be stronger than people suspect, and it's looking pretty good here. Uh, growth can be explosive, and it is explosive, at least from what I've seen in Washington, at every way I've looked at it. When a new store opens... Uh, that first little bit is is really big. Um, that's becoming less so now that there's more competing stores, but they're looking pretty good. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we all knew that there was going to be a lot more pent-up demand than they expected, but so much of this has been happening in the casual and black market that a lot, you know, there were no metrics. And so folks like Botech were kind of magic wanding it to better or lesser effects. Um, you know, Jim, uh, when when I started letting some of the, the industry leaders here in Washington know that I was going to have you on the show, uh, they were really excited to get some free access to your analysis. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, we've got listeners all over the country and even, you know, even some outside of the country. Um, you know, for folks who are listening to you and they identify with like, you know, this guy understands data. I would love to be able to talk to him about my market in Oregon or Colorado. Do you work with folks? I mean, are you working on uh, data in other states? Or are you pretty much Washington-centric? Um, I've been talking to people in Colorado, Oregon, and Alaska. Uh, you know, nowhere near to the level that I'm doing here, mainly because we have better data here. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, there are some folks, particularly out of Colorado and Oregon right now, that I'd say um, are trying to maximize access to the information that's available in their states. And there are a couple of entities that are doing a more macro level across the states in the country that, that are very good work. I'm not working with them right now. Um, you know, I might, might in the future, but you know, I'm sort of focusing on Washington, but I'm interested in branching out to the other states because the lessons we've learned here will be somewhat different in those other areas because of how they've implemented the markets. And you know, if people have got three market or well, two well-functioning markets now with lots of data and a third one coming online, wouldn't you like to know the good lessons out of that to make your market more effective to meet the public health and policy needs and frankly, the financial needs of the industry people? Yeah, absolutely. My dad always used to tell me that, you know, it's fine to learn from your mistakes, but it's really great if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes. <laughs> yeah, and we've got a lot of them we can learn from here. Yeah. So, Jim, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you very much, Shango. Uh, all the best. Talk to you soon. To find out more about Dr. McRae and Straight Line Analytics, you can go to his website at highintelligence.org, or you can email him at jim at straightlineanalytics.biz. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. 
On the Gonjpreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the Gonjpreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Today's show was produced by Pat Paquette. I am your host, Shango Rose.